We live in a world today that by and large rejects authority. Adam and Eve's rejection of God's authority in the garden has set the pattern for the rest of humanity. We don't enjoy being told what to do, what to say, or how to live. Our culture encourages us to find our sense of right and wrong from within ourselves uh, rather than looking to God. And data increasingly shows that public trust in officials or those who hold positions of authority is at an all-time low. And it is certainly true that in recent years, people in power have failed miserably, scandalized their office, committed abuse, or manipulated others for their own agenda. And certainly God does not look favorably upon those who abuse their authority in this way. But what we are reminded of this evening in the fifth word is that God is the ultimate authority. And because God is the ultimate authority, he calls us to honor those in authority over us. God's authority is absolute over our lives, but God also gives derived authority to others. And we are called to show honor to those whom God places over us. Now, the fifth word begins the second table of God's law. And Jesus summarizes the two tables of the law in Matthew chapter 22. The first table of the law, the first four commandments or four words, they are comprehended by Jesus when he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And we've seen how these first four words are directed towards God, right? We have the first word, God calls us to worship him alone. The second word, God calls us to worship him on his terms. The third word, God calls us to worship him in word and deed. And the fourth word, God calls us to make time to worship him. And now we come to the second table of the law, which Jesus summarizes in Matthew 22, again, as uh, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So that's uh, commandments 5 through 10. And so what we see is that from the worship of God proceeds the love of our neighbor. And this evening we will see that loving our neighbor first begins in the home, right? Honor your parents, honor your father and mother. But through the lens of um, our, our Westminster Larger Catechism, which I've been making reference to, through the lens of that we see that it extends to all those whom God sees fit to appoint in positions of authority. And what we will see this evening is that the heart of the fifth word is this. God calls us to give honor to whom honor is due. God calls us to give honor to whom honor is due. If you look with me in your Bibles at Exodus 20, you'll notice that God says, honor your father and your mother. The Apostle Paul comments on the fifth word and writes in Ephesians chapter 6 that children ought to obey their parents. 
And it's true that, o- that, that obedience is a core component of showing honor, especially for children. But in the Hebrew, honor means heavy uh, or weighty uh, or glory. And, and the word for honor that we find here in the fifth word is the same word that is used to describe the glory cloud of God's presence. So what this tells us is that parental authority for God is a weighty thing. It's a weighty thing. Parents are worthy of honor and glory, not because they're perfect, far from it, but because they are God's representatives. When we think of something weighty or heavy, right, we think of something we show deference to, something we show respect to. And in the Old Testament, showing honor to both father and mother was a matter of life and death. We read this in Deuteronomy 21, uh, verses 18 and onward. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, will not listen to them, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of his city at the gate of the place where he lives. And they shall say to the elders of his city, This is our stubborn, this is our son, our stubborn and rebellious son. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. Now praise God that we live in the age of the new covenant and that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. And we now approach God's throne of grace as the prodigal son, uh, as we see in Luke 15, if we repent. Even though we dishonor our father, if we confess and we repent, we find forgiveness and grace. But this case law in Deuteronomy chapter 21 still shows us the heaviness and the weight of parental authority. And as an aside, it's also worth noting the way that Uh, Deuteronomy 21 actually points to Christ, right? Christ was unjustly accused as the rebellious son who should be put to death. Remember how the Pharisees accused Jesus in Matthew 11, the son of man came eating and drinking, a glutton and a drunkard. And right after the account of this rebellious son in Deuteronomy chapter 21, we find Christ written all over the page. We we read a prophecy concerning the Son of Man. Cursed is any man that hangs on a tree. And Paul quotes this directly. He tells us that Jesus became that curse for us so that we could be redeemed from the curse of the law. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might have life eternal. Now, the second half of the fifth word is a promise. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And in Deuteronomy 5, we additionally get this. We get honor your father and your mother that it may go well with you. So uh, that you may inherit the land and that it may go well with you. And God did give a particular promise to Israel in connection 
with the promised land. This is a historical redemptive promise that uh, was fulfilled in Israel's conquest of Canaan and uh, their inheritance of the promised land and the, the prosperity therein. But the general promise of the fifth word, it still applies to us today. In the Old Testament, we find general promises. Right? This means in God's promises or in God's providence, they are generally true. For example, we read in Proverbs, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, you might take that at a surface level reading and think that uh, our children's salvation is contingent upon parenting. And thank God that that is not true because we all have moral failures and shortcomings, and salvation is of the Lord, right? God is ultimately the one who decrees election and reprobation. And yet the general promise, the general promise stands true. God will use our broken and imperfect parenting to mold our children according to his will. And so we have every reason to trust uh, that God will save our covenant children as we raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And so it is with this promise in the fifth word. Honoring your father and mother doesn't automatically lead to long life or prosperity. God may providentially call you home early. Yet the promise of God is true. He blesses those who obey that or who obey him. And so we see that there's a general blessing in heeding the voice of our parents, especially when we're children. Right? If our parents are instructing us in the fear and admonition of the Lord when we're young, their their wisdom will lead to our flourishing. Parents know a thing or two. God has designed it this way. And there was probably a time for many of us when we thought that our parents knew nothing. Mark Twain describes it all too well. He says, when I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much the old man had learned in seven years. So biblically, we can uh, state it the way that Proverbs states it, gray hair is a crown of glory. It is gained in a righteous life. In other words, when we're young, we we often think that we know it all. In reality, we have much to learn from the wisdom of our parents and our elders. And this doesn't mean that all parents and everyone who is older than us is necessarily wise. There's such a thing as a foolish old person. As we see in Ecclesiastes 4, verse 13, better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. How to take advice. And it also doesn't mean that all children and young people are foolish. As Jesus quotes the Psalms in Matthew 21, he says, Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise. Or as Paul writes in 1 Timothy 4, let no one despise you for your youth. 
But generally speaking, those with more life experience, they, they know the realities of life. They know the hardness and hardship of living under the curse. And especially those with life experience who fear the Lord and who walk in His ways, they are to be heeded, starting with our parents. Parents give commands not because they want to spoil their children's fun, but because they love them. Right? So when my son Lyle is running on the sidewalk on, uh, in the city, I tell him to stop at the stop sign, not because I want to spoil his fun, but because I love him and I want it to go well with Lyle, to use the language of Exodus. And it, it probably will go well with him if he continues to obey and stop at the stop sign. So what does it mean, then, to obey the fifth word? How, how do we think about honoring our father and mother? Well, to springboard from our Westminster Larger Catechism, it means that we, we ought to honor all lawful authority. But I want you to remember something important here. God wants us to honor lawful authority, not wicked authority. If someone in authority over us wants to transgress God's law, we must not obey. And we take our cue from the apostles on this in Acts chapter 5, where we read that we must obey God rather than man. For example, in uh, Nazi Germany, deceiving the government and hiding Jews is a, uh, a faithful ordering of your duty as a Christian. Though Paul calls us to obey our civil government in Romans 13, God's law supersedes the evil laws of men that seek to kill and destroy. So God's command to preserve life, it, it supersedes the evil laws of mass genocide. And so only God's authority is absolute. God's authority is absolute because He is our creator. He is our maker. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. And so He is the lawgiver. He is the judge. And ultimately then, the the fifth word is about obedience to God. God is our heavenly Father who desires that we honor Him with our whole being. One of the great sins of our generation is the notion that we as human beings determine truth, that we are autonomous decision makers with our own moral compass, and that we alone have authority over our bodies and souls to live and choose according to our subjective tastes. And frankly, this is, this is a distortion of biblical truth. It's, it's a wrong view of reality. The Bible says that, that, our, that our bodies do not belong to ourselves, that, 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 that our bodies belong to God. And the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the truth. He is truth incarnate. And there is an objective standard of truth that is revealed in God's Word. And all of humanity will be held accountable by this objective standard. 
And so the question of authority today, it strikes at the very heart of who we are. Are we willing to submit our lives to King Jesus? Do we only give him part of our lives? Do we say, well, you know, Lord, you are, you are Lord over my life in this one area, but I can live however I please in all others? Jesus is either Lord of all of your life or none of your life. And he is the only ultimate authority for all of us. Now, when it comes to derived authority, there's a, there's a number of spheres uh, that, that are, we, could, we could tease out here, but I want to just speak to two spheres uh, of life briefly, both family and church. So family and church. Uh, well, firstly, the call to honor our natural parents, it, it extends throughout all of life from womb to tomb. And of course, it looks different at different stages of life. But when you're young, it means, as I've said, you obey your parents. Right? And parents must not exas- uh, exasperate their children, as Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 6, but rather bring them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And as children grow up, uh, as we move out and gain independence, we still honor our parents by caring for their needs and by making time for them. Uh, I think the West is particularly unique in this regard in that in in, in many cultures around the world, there's still uh, the vestige of honoring your parents. Uh, But in the West, this has increasingly declined. There's a new trend going around uh, called cutting off your parents. And from what I can tell, this is an unbiblical trend. Many are just cutting off their parents because they think their parents aren't with the times, their parents are out of step with culture, uh, their parents are bigoted, have, you know, differing political views. But Jesus calls us to honor our parents until the grave. Listen to how Jesus rebukes the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 15, verses 3 and onward, for the way that they rejected their parents. Jesus says this, Why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and your mother. And, quoting Deuteronomy, whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. This is what Jesus says. Uh, But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. What Jesus is exposing here is that the Pharisees cut off their parents because they thought that their energies could be expended better doing religious work. They told their parents that uh, they couldn't be bothered to care for their needs because uh, they were busy attending to the temple. And what Jesus reminds us here is that the love of Christ compels us to care for our parents even in their old age. Jesus reminds us that, that, that your calling is not more sacred serving God if you neglect to care 
for your parents. Well, we often also misunderstand the way that the fifth word applies to marriage. Within our Reformed tradition, our confessions uh, speak about the sins of superiors and inferiors when it comes to relations within marriage. And on the fifth commandment, when speaking about uh, the honor that inferiors owe their superiors, it uses 1 Peter 3, verse 6 as a proof text, uh, which speaks of how Sarah is called to obey Abraham and calls him Lord. And I want to be perfectly clear on something. Our, our catechism is not saying that men are superior and women are inferior with regard to our being. Now, the Bible is perfectly clear on this issue that men and women are co-heirs of God's grace and that from the beginning, before sin enters the world, men and women are created as equals. As we read in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. And so our catechism isn't speaking about our ontology, about our, about our being, but rather about the ordering of relations within a marriage. And this is really what is, me- what is meant uh, when we speak of a biblical view of complementarianism. Right? We're not saying that men are superior in being and more worthy in God's sight than women. No, men and women are equally made in God's image, and within the context of marriage, God has seen fit to order relations in a way that, as the Apostle Paul writes, reflects Christ and his church. And we ought to notice what Paul does not say uh, as well when he addresses husbands and wives. As the Holy Spirit speaks to us through the Apostle Paul, we don't find this blanket statement of absolute submission. Right? Paul says in Ephesians 5, Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. And so this call for wives to submit to their husbands is governed by as unto the Lord. Men are not called to lead as ogres, or as tyrants, dictating every choice or movement. No, men are called to to lead by laying down their lives as Christ laid down his life for the church. And wives are called to submit to their husbands as unto the Lord. And practically speaking, this uh, this means honoring the way your husband leads you in your growth in godliness. And this is an ordering of relations within marriage that that pleases God, that brings glory to him. I love the way that Matthew Henry puts it. He says that Eve was not taken out of Adam's head to top him, neither out of his feet to be trampled on by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected by him and near his heart to be loved by him. Well, I want to close this evening by extending the fifth word to the church. 
And one of the wonderful blessings about the church is that we are a family. We are a family, a spiritual family made up of brothers and sisters in Christ from all different walks of life. And one of the basic ways that God promises to build his church is through covenant children. And as children come into the visible church, we we, we get this wonderful opportunity to come alongside them as they seek to obey God in this way, as they seek to honor father and mother. And for all of us within the church, for all of us, honoring father and mother, uh, it doesn't just mean submitting to our elders as we promise to do in our membership vows, but it also means heeding the wisdom of godly saints that the Lord places in our lives. And so the church as a whole, it becomes this beautiful picture of one generation passing the deposit of faith to the next. And this is the beauty of the church, right? It's unique. It's unique and different from the world, different from other social organizations and clubs. And that's because the church, when she is functioning healthy, uh, she is an intergenerational community. This is the vision that Paul casts for us in Titus chapter 2, right? Older women discipling younger women and older men discipling younger men. And, and one of the challenges for us is to break free uh, from our peer groups in the church. But if we truly take God at his word, right? Every member of the church, both young and old, they, they have an essential function in the church. We ought to seek one another out to learn and to grow. And it certainly can be uncomfortable at times, but the blessing of the church is that as the family of God, we become a refuge for those whose earthly families have failed them. When we live out our calling as the family of God to show love to the widow, to show love to the orphan, to show love to the sojourner. When we live out that calling, we demonstrate the love of the Father shown to us in the Son. I want you to know that the church will fail you. The church will certainly fail you, and it has failed in the past as we await Christ's second coming. It will fail in the future. But yes, God has given the church authority. He has given the church authority to bind and loose. And yes, the elders of the church are still tasked with being overseers of your soul. And the Bible teaches us that that the elders will give an account to God on the last day for, for the way that they shepherd the flock of God. And so remember that while we are fallible, broken sinners, God's grace is sufficient. God's grace is sufficient to cover a multitude of shortcomings. And we simply walk by faith and obedience, trusting that God orders everything according to his will. Even the evil things, he works for our good. 
And we, we give thanks to God. We give thanks to God that we are, we are not saved by our keeping of the law because we know that we fail. We know that we fail to keep God's law each day in thought, word, and deed. And we give thanks that Christ has fulfilled the fifth commandment for us. Christ was obedient to his earthly parents, as we read in Luke chapter 2. And he was obedient to the will of God, as we read in Philippians chapter 2. He was obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So while we fall short of this fifth word, Christ secures for us a salvation that we could never secure on our own. He has both kept the moral law of God perfectly for us and satisfied the wrath of God against sin on the cross. And now we who are in Christ, we are pronounced righteous. We are free from sin and alive to God. And so we now seek to honor him by honoring those whom he places in authority over us. Not because it earns our salvation, but because Christ dwells in our hearts And he quickens our hearts by the power of his spirit to walk in newness of life. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for providing us with all that we need for life and godliness. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the gift of new life that we have in Christ. Lord, we plead with you to give us your spirit that we, that we may walk in a way that is pleasing to you. We ask that you would send us out in your power, emboldened to live out your truth as citizens of a heavenly kingdom. And these things we pray in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.